0: We are launching this morning the whole shebang, part two, and uh, pretty excited about that. If you are brand new with us, I'll explain what that means in just a few moments. Uh, I hope you had a fabulous... Christmas, the big gift for our kids this year were iPod shuffles. We gave them uh, those tiny little things. It's amazing. You can fit 3,000 songs on a chiclet. Incredible. So each of our three kids got one of those, and then they opened them together, and then they all uh, put them on, and they're dancing and singing different songs in the living room and saying, Listen to this song, listen to this song, because I preloaded about 50 different songs on each of the kids' uh, iPods, so it was a ton of fun. That afternoon, I went out. Uh, actually, a couple weeks ago, I talked about giving an, an hour uh, uh, with dad for each of the kids. And the the uh, nine- and seven-year-old boys, they looked at that and went, huh, and then tossed it aside. But the five-year-old, she was all over it. And the whole day, she's saying, when's our hour, when's our hour, when's our hour. So for our hour, we went to the playground. And on the way there, she had her, her uh, new iPod shuffle. And, and uh, so I love listening to people. Who are listening to songs on an iPod shuffle and another aware that you're listening, so she she doesn't know the song, so she's day, and you know they're trying to catch up with the song, they're trying to, and all they when they hear a word that they understand life and then on, and then the chorus comes around, we will, we will rock you, rock you. She's doing this, and uh, it made Christmas Day uh, glorious, glorious scene, but. Uh, The reason I'm uh, I'm telling you that is that we are launching into Whole Shebang 2, which is a a journey through the characters of God's overall story. We're talking about getting into character. And what we're going to be doing is looking at uh, at the main characters that make up God's overall story. And some of these characters you're going to be familiar with, some not so much. For some of them, uh, maybe you'll, you won't be familiar with them at all, and you'll be like just kind of pretending you know the words to the song. And you know, then Isaac. And you know, then. You don't really know that. Maybe there'll be other uh, characters where you, you know the chorus. You can sing along boldly with the chorus, but on the verses, not so much. But the journey here is to, is to be familiar with these characters and to invite God to come and transform our character. With It it means nothing to learn these stories and, and, and if we don't let them impact our lives. So here's what we're doing is, uh, again, if you're uh, new around here, we're providing you with these binders, new Whole Shebang Part 2 binders, uh, so we don't get overly stuffed in the Whole Shebang binders. And each week, we're going to give you a piece of paper that you can put notes on and be part of your journey and just put it in that binder and kind of collect the story With us. That's the overall deal. The reason it's called Whole Shebang 2 is that we did the overall story in 2010, and we're going to look at the same seven sections. The first section is where we're going back to here this morning, called the Exodus. And the Exodus is the overall story of the establishment of the people of God, the people of Israel. That it started as a man and then uh, turned into a family, eventually a nation, a nation. Uh, to whom God gave land and then eventually gave a king. It's this increasing establishment and development of the people of God. That is the Exodus story, and it's the first half of our Old Testament. The man who starts this all off is a guy named Abraham, and that's whose story we're taking a look at this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as we launch into this? God, we are once again thankful for your story, and... Whether we are very familiar with the story of Abraham or this is a brand new piece, God, I invite you to come and use that uh, ancient story, that ancient character to come and transform our character. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you who are somewhat familiar with Abraham, think about what might be the character trait of Abraham. What would be kind of the distinguishing, identifiable, most celebrated, most identified character trait of Abraham, it is he is a man of faith. What we're talking about this morning is faith. In Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, that's referred to sometimes as the the faith chapter. And the writer of Hebrews 11 walks through a number of different characters in the whole shebang story that by faith Isaac did this, and by faith Jacob did this, and by faith Joseph did this. And each of those characters get one verse except two characters. Moses gets six verses, and our man Abraham gets 12 verses in Hebrews chapter 11. He is the faith guy. Abraham uh, is referred to as Father Abraham, had many sons. I don't know if you had many sons. Had father Abraham. There we go. Join in, and uh, uh, we won't do the whole song. But the reason we say that is that he was—he is the father of the nation of Israel. Abraham's Abraham's dad was a was an idol merchant, which means that he bought and sold little statues that people would view as little gods, little g-gods. That was the occupation that his dad held. And Abraham, under his dad, started to question his father's faith. And he believed that there was one God, that there weren't many little gods, that there was one God. And this is a miraculous thing for him because he didn't have a whole lot of evidence for that. But that's what he Believed There's a story in the Talmud, which is a Jewish ancient text. Uh, keep in mind that the Old Testament is the Jewish story. The Old Testament is the overall Jewish story. They have uh, texts outside of that that are very much a part of the Jewish history, the Jewish uh, journey. And the Talmud is part of that. In the Talmud is a story about Abraham when he was a young boy. And what he did is he went into his dad's shop, his dad's uh, where he was selling all the little, the little idols, and he took a hammer and he busted up all the idols except the largest one. And then he put the hammer into the hands of the largest idol. Then when his dad came home, his dad said, what happened here? And Abraham explained that the large idol got angry and smashed up all the little idols. And then the dad said, according to the Talmud, the dad said, that's ridiculous, son. I mean, these idols have no ability to do this. They have no life. They have no power. And then Abraham says, then why do you worship them? And then Abraham got grounded for weeks. (laughs) That part is not necessarily in, in, in the Talmud. But, but, It's this this incredible thing that was inside of Abraham, this ability to have faith in something that he hadn't yet seen. I mean, keep in mind that for Abraham, there is no Bible, there is no scripture, there is no temple, there is no priest, there is no teacher to say, this is what it's all about. All Abraham has is his faith, that's all he has. He has no peers to say, hey, let's do this together. All he has is his faith. What we're going to do this morning is take a look at five parts of Abraham's story and see what that can teach us about our faith, about the faith in our own lives, of faith as a character trait. And here's the point overall that I want to look at this morning with regard to faith. is that Faith is not believing in that which is unbelievable. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't just saying, okay, just close your eyes, shut off your mind, stop asking questions, and just believe. That's not what faith is. Faith as a character trait is having the ability to trust in someone outside of ourselves. See, when we just trust in ourselves, that's, that's, that's self-confidence. That's a great thing. But our world gets bigger When we have the ability to trust in someone outside of ourselves. So let's jump in. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're starting in on Abraham's story. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament. One of the easiest to find. And if you're like me, when I was growing up, uh, I read the first 12 chapters of Genesis over and over and over and over and over again in my many efforts to read through the Bible. Okay, uh, so Genesis chapter 12, perhaps a familiar uh, part of Scripture, uh, because it's early on in the Bible before we get discouraged or, or something. But we are going to go through the whole, uh, whole thing uh, here this year, at least parts of it. Numbers we might skip over a few verses, but chapter 12, verse 1, this is the story of the call of Abraham, the invitation for Abraham to leave his hometown. Chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, let me just pause for a moment, that Abram is interchangeable with the name Abraham. Those two names, Abraham and Abram, they refer to the same person. Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means father of many. As part of Abraham's journey, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. So as we talk about him Today, I'll interchangeably use Abram or Abraham, but they mean the same person. Uh, just Just like Alan and Stud, they're basically, okay. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is an incredible command that God gives Abraham. Leave. It's an incredible word. Leave your country, that which you are familiar with. Leave your little g-gods, leave your household, leave. It is, it, is a, it is a courageous journey. Separate yourself from these certain things. And what's fascinating about the, the, the command leave is that that's what the word holy means. The word holy means to be separate from, to be set apart. We say God is holy. He is separate, set apart from all other Little g gods or any possibility of any other god. God is separate from all that. He's not just mixed in with other gods. God is holy. And through the Holy Spirit, we are to become holy. We are to be in this journey of becoming holy, of being set apart. What that means is that there's something each and every one of us has to leave. There's something in our lives as a part of our faith journey that we need to be separate from. Now, the confusion comes in with regard to what we are to leave. What is it we are to leave and what is it we are to cling to? My wife and I watched a movie this week, rented a movie called Eat, Pray, Love. And if I had the ability, I would uh, retitle the movie, Watch, Waste, Vomit, perhaps, maybe. Uh, I, I... in my humble opinion, not a big fan of the movie. Uh, Julia Roberts plays a character who is struggling in her marriage and struggling in her job and struggling in her life. And so she just leaves. She just wants to get away from it all. Just get away. My wife picked the movie. I'm picking next time, I tell you. Uh, her thing is she just wants to leave. Oprah loves the movie. And, and it, it's about leaving and go find yourself. Go to, go to Bali and find yourself. And the point is that when life gets hard, just take off. Just leave. And that's not what God is saying here in Genesis chapter 12. Please don't misinterpret that with regard to your, your situation. God is asking us to be willing to leave that which is safe, our income, our family of origin, our uh, things, that, th- things that we find safety in. I think there are times where God is asking us to be willing to leave those things. And God is consistently asking us to leave that which is self-destructive, whether it's addictions or bad habits, that we would be separate from those. But God is not asking us to leave our responsibilities. Just walk away from that. God is not asking us to leave things and people that we are responsible to and responsible for. Plus, as far as a uh, what what leaving means, verse one says the Lord had said to Abraham, to Abram, leave. God said, God told him, God made it very clear for him. He didn't have to have this big, uh, ambiguous, I think I'm supposed to go. Let's be careful with the phrase, I'm going to step out in faith. Let's be careful with that phrase. Because sometimes what we mean by that is, I'm going to do this, whether God wants me to or not. I'm going to do it, and I am going to expect God to catch me. And if he doesn't, I have reason to be upset with him. God's God's not going to be manipulated. He is not going to be forced into a corner. He doesn't get all nervous when we say those things. Oh no, what am I going to do now? He, He doesn't respond like that. God cannot be manipulated. Careful with the phrase, step out in faith. Abraham didn't step out in faith blindly, he was told by God to leave. He just simply responded to a God who didn't even have a name. Didn't have a name. Didn't have a written concept of who this God was. He just responded in faith to what he believed God was calling him to do. That's different than just kind of blindly stepping out. Okay, the second story. Again, I have five. So the second part of Abraham's journey is found in the next chapter. Chapter 13. Abraham has a nephew with him named Lot. And together they have a lot of flocks, a lot of animals, a lot of workers. And they start to actually get a little bit crowded and bumping into each other. So here's what happens in chapter 13, verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. What happened here is that when Abram gave Lot the opportunity to choose, Lot saw that to the east it was lush and beautiful, and to the west, not so much. So Lot chose the lush and beautiful. It's a reasonable choice. This story kind of grabs me a little bit because this is exactly not a, a, a character tool that I have in my belt. Okay, this is, this is exactly what Abraham did in this situation is not a real strength of mine. See, I'm the youngest, I'm, I'm the youngest child, and so when there's dessert and there are options, I don't give other people the better ones or the ones with more chocolate. Those are the ones I take for myself. That's just kind of a default. If I invite you over to my house and we're going to grill steaks and one of them falls on the ground, I'm not going to eat that one because I'm the host and I made the mistake. That's yours. If you didn't see it, I'm brushing it off, and that's yours. I'm gonna eat the one that's thicker and nicer and cook better. I'm just I'm not proud of it. I'm just telling you, honestly, that's that's what you get. If, careful, if you get come over to my house. So I'm I'm drawn by Abraham's ability to say to Lot, I want you to choose. You see, in this situation, God didn't tell him, go to the west. What Abraham is doing in this situation is saying, God, I will trust you. Remember, that's what faith is. Faith is trusting in someone outside of ourselves. God, I will trust you, whether it is to the east or the west. Either way, all in, any direction, I'm trusting you. Faith, in its most beautiful form, is not 70-30 trust. It's not mostly leaning. It's not sort of one foot here and one foot over there and kind kind of a balancing act. Faith in its purest form is to put it all in, is to to bet it all on God. And and it really is like like gambling. I mean, if you you say, I'm going to put it all on this particular number, I'm going to put it all on God. If it's a small amount, if it's 25 cents, it's pretty easy to do that. I'm going to bet it all. All five nickels I'm going to bet on there. It's pretty easy. But when that pile metaphorically becomes $200,000. It's a little harder to bet it all on God. That's where we pull back $150,000 of it and say, well, this is mine. This is kind of my safety piece. I'm going to bet the rest on God. And that's how much I'm going to trust Him. The more we risk, the more the benefit, the more the payoff... The more the, the, the more we trust the more the payoff and it's in those moments when we when we bet it all when we bet it all on God that's when the enemy the third character in the whole shebang story remember there's three characters God, us the ones that God wanted to have a restored relationship with and then the third character is the enemy the one who's trying to rest, to destroy that relationship the enemy when we bet it all on God says whoa that's a whole lot. Are you sure you want to trust him that much? You you could lose a whole lot if you trusted him with that. Now, just as a side note, here this is not biblical support for gambling. Okay, uh, it's just a metaphor, and uh, uh, you know the casino it, it does not have your best interest in mind, and the odds are not in your favor. Okay, just as a just as a side, that's okay. I just want to be clear. Okay, the third story that I want to take a look at is found in the next chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 14. What happens in this part of the story is Lot is struggling as he he goes to the east, and he's in an area called Sodom. And uh, things don't go well for him in Sodom. Sodom is taken over by some other kings. They take the merchandise, they take the people, and they take Lot. Abram finds out about it. He gathers 318 soldiers, goes in, and gets everything back. Gets Lot back, gets the people back, gets all the stuff back. And here's the interaction in chapter 14 between Abram and the king of Sodom after Abram saves the day. Verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the... This, this, this speech is like, is like Russell Crowe. Just imagine Russell Crowe. Just kind of... Uh, people often say, I look like Russell Crowe. So, so just imagine in this moment that this is Russell Crowe saying this. I have raised my hand to the Lord God, most high creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to enter Eshkol and Mamre. Let them have their share. Okay, maybe that's not a real Russell Crowe. But, but, I mean, it's just kind of a manly thing. I will take nothing from you. Let them have their share. What he's saying is, if I take this, then you will be able to say that my... I have been provided for by you, and I want my story to be that I was provided for by God. So Abram's saying, I want to leave you with that, and I want to trust God for my provision. What's happening is Abram is building his trust with God. Faith is a process. It is a process of building trust. And Abraham, in this moment, is saying, I'm going to take one more step to say, I want to lean more and more into God. It's a game, it's a dance, it is a, 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 a spar, if you will, where we engage with God in this. We trust God with a little bit, and then he proves that he is trustworthy, and then we lean in a little bit more, and then we trust God with a little bit more, and he proves that he is trustworthy, and we lean in a little bit more. This is what Abraham does over and over again in his journey. It is a process. I don't think it is reasonable to bet it all, bet all 200000 right off the bat. I don't think that's what a new Christian should do. I think that there is a process in building up our faith with God over time. And that's why we see multiple pieces to Abraham's story. And here he's saying, I want to build up my trust with you, God. That that in each of these stories, I'm going to leave and trust you with this. I'm going to give Lot what he chooses and I'm going to trust you with this. It is a building up. It's what happens in our relationships. It's what happens with other people. We build up trust with other people. It's heartbreaking for me when I see a, a young girl... Give all of her trust, her heart, her body, everything to a young boy because she so wants to connect with that boy, but that boy hasn't deserved or proven that he is trustworthy yet. And then there's so much pain there. Maybe you can remember when you were a young girl or you were a young boy and you trusted too much to someone else. And there's a process that we learn that in order to engage with somebody, we we dance with them for a little bit, and we build up our trust with that person. Th- that's how we identify who safe people are, that we, we give them a little bit, and we see what they do with it, and then we lean in a little bit more, and if they don't do well, then we say, okay, I'm going to be a little bit more reserved in my trust with you. We don't just dump it on people. We build things up together. We, we're in D groups for a while, and then we get to connect with with people and build up our trust and we can go to deeper levels with them. If you want to go to a deeper level with somebody, you want to build the trust with somebody else, then there is a process to that. Maybe you are in covenant with somebody, your, your spouse, your husband, or your wife, and there is a broken trust there that the faith between the two of you is not there, then what needs to happen is is if you are the one who has been wounded, then you need to give a little bit in order to rebuild that trust. You can't shut it off completely or the trust won't be built. You've got to trust a little bit, see how that goes, and then lean in a little bit more and trust a little bit more and lean in a little bit more. And if you are the one who has done the wounding, you've got to be patient because this process takes time. Trust can be destroyed in a moment. And it takes time to be rebuilt. It can't trust, faith cannot be built by your strength. It takes time. One piece getting built onto another. The fourth part of Abraham's story is actually found in a number of different chapters, and, and it's basically the story of, of Abraham's offspring. And this actually is an example of Abraham not trusting God. It's actually an example of Abraham not being perfect so that we don't walk away from Abraham's story and say, well, he has the flawless faith gene that I don't have. So that's good for him. But he wasn't perfect. And and the example for this is trusting that, that God would give him a son. If you remember from chapter 12, God said, I will make you into a great nation. And his name got changed from Abram to Abraham. You will be the father of many. But his wife, Sarah, was barren. No babies. You're not going to be the father of many without babies. And so Abraham takes matters into his own hands and doesn't trust God with this. And this is acceptable within the culture. But what he does is he identifies a servant named Eleazar. It says, you will be the heir to the kingdom. And then later on, Sarah said, no, I want at least one of our genes to be a part of of the heir. And so I will give you my maidservant, Hagar. You sleep with her, and you'll have a son, and then that will be the heir. They had a son named Ishmael. And you can just imagine the awkwardness that enters into their story at this point you've got the wife and the maidservant and the child with the maidservant and then you've got Eleazar, to whom Abraham needed to have a, 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 an uncomfortable conversation saying remember that talk about the whole you know heir to the kingdom i was just kidding i mean he had to he had to change that he had to pull that back he had to ch- he had to change that deal because now ishmael's around but then something amazing happens at age 100 abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90, and she gets pregnant. She's 90. And she gives birth to a boy, and they call him Isaac, which means laughter. Because she was, was she thought it was humorous. Just imagine a 90-year-old getting pregnant. She's going to the store, and she's got to buy diapers for both her, her son and her husband <laughs> at the same time. I mean, they named him Isaac. Out of laughter, and so then Abraham needs to have another awkward conversation with Ishmael and say, "You know, you're not going to be the heir to the heir to the kingdom either." Interesting note here is that because of the discomfort in the family here, Hagar and Ishmael are removed from the household, and Ishmael becomes the father of the Arabs, the ancestor to. The Arabs. So the ongoing issues between Muslims and Jews in, uh, in the Middle East and around the world goes back to the very beginning of the whole shebang story. It goes back to sibling rivalry between Ishmael and Isaac. But the point of all, the reason I'm bringing up the Isaac story is that Abraham was not perfect in his faith. So the goal is not to be perfect in our faith because even Abraham, the guy of faith, he didn't do it perfectly. And so for you and me, when we don't quite do it perfectly, we've got a model who didn't quite do it perfectly. I love that about our whole shebang story. I love that about our Bible, that it's not squeaky clean. Okay, the fifth and final part of Abraham's story is absolutely his biggest test of faith. And it's found in Genesis chapter 22. <clears throat> that chapter begins. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. This is one of those stories, one of those parts of Scripture where you just go, what? Did I read that correctly? Keep in mind here, there's no writings about God. There's no evidence that this is not God's character. Abraham doesn't know. But faith sometimes requires us to go beyond reason. Faith, if it's limited to reason, then it has to be things that we understand that we can explain. And sometimes faith needs to go beyond that. Faith also needs to go beyond our emotions, beyond our feelings. Because if we only act in faith if things feel good to us, then we're not truly trusting God, we're trusting our own feelings then it's still about us. We haven't entered into faith. We haven't entered into trusting in something outside of ourselves. We're trusting in our own feelings. Sometimes faith requires us to go beyond our feelings, and that's what Abraham does here. He goes beyond reason. I mean, God said he would be the father of of many. He has one son, and God's saying, I want you to go sacrifice him. There's no sense to that. And he loves his son, and his feelings say, there's no way I want to do this. But he trusts God. Verse 9. When they reached the place, God had told them about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham. Abraham, and I imagine tears are flowing from his eyes at this point. He says, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from from him your son, your only son. Now there's a beautiful allusion here to the story of Jesus being God's son and that Jesus is the one that is sacrificed. But there is so much going on here. Abraham trusted God even when it didn't make sense. This is one of those stories, this is one of those parts of Scripture where, where many can read it and say, I can't serve, trust, have faith in a God who would do that. And maybe for you it's something else. I can't have faith in a God who would blank, who would allow babies to die. I can't have faith in a God who would allow bad things to happen to good people, who would allow anyone to go to hell. Well, I'm I'm not sure what your phrase might be. But if if you struggle with a phrase like that, then I just invite you to consider, how would you do it if you were God? And and, and there's, there's all these people over generations. How would you handle... The eternity piece. How would you do it? How would you have done it better? Would you have just embraced everyone and just it just bring them all? Would it be a lottery and just kind of pick some and just keep it fair? Some go, some don't. Would there be a, a a test and you have to pass the test? Would there be a bunch of things that you need to do? How would you handle it? If if we're uncomfortable with how God has done it, how would you do it? If I was going to assemble a team, an army, if I was going to identify a group of people to spend eternity with, to do something with, I wouldn't necessarily pick the strongest and the biggest and the smartest. I mean, look at the staff. Okay. Just kidding. I can say that because the staff is outstanding. See, I wouldn't be able to say that if there was actually any you know, truth to that. But, 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 but I, I tell you, I mean, I've seen enough movies where it's the big strong guys who, who, uh, who turn on the leader, that kind of thing. The people that I would want to do something with, the people that I would want to spend eternity with, they would be the people that I could trust. Maybe they're not the best at what they do. Maybe they're not the strongest. Maybe they're not uh, uh, the absolute very best. I want the people who say, I trust you, and the people that I would be able to say, I trust you as well. See, this whole thing makes sense to me. God's plan makes sense to me. That it is about faith. That Abraham is revered in the New Testament because he was justified by faith alone. Justified means made right with God. Abraham was made right before God by faith alone. The order that God tells this story is amazing. He doesn't say, do these things, do these things, do these things, do these things, and this will justify you. The commandments don't even enter the picture into quite far down down in the story, past Moses. Here with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God says to them, I'm not so worried about, about telling you how to do life. I want you to trust me. I want to have relationship with you. It's about relationship I want you to have faith in me. It's like Aladdin reaching down to Jasmine. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I know there's a lot of questions that you have. Do you trust me? See, that makes sense to me, that God is looking for those who have faith. And it's the same story today, same story with Abraham that it is today. We are justified by faith, not by what we do. Not by what we have done. Not by what we haven't done. But simply by faith in saying, I trust that you are God. And I trust that Jesus is your son and he died on the cross so that I can have a restored relationship with you. I am justified, made right before God because of faith. So in what area of your life would you like to trust God more? Maybe it's your eternity. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's your health. And you're holding on to a whole lot of that. In what area of your life do you want to trust God more? And there is a dance. There is a way that we have a relationship with God where we trust Him a little bit more and He proves His worthiness and then we trust Him a little bit more. There is a God... Who is so worthy of your trust. And the beautiful thing is that he's invited us to do life with other people. There are people around you who are worthy of your trust. There are people in this church that you could interact with in ministries or in service teams or in D groups that are worthy of your trust. And that is a beautiful thing. As far as a character trait, Having the ability to trust, to have faith in others is a beautiful thing. It will expand your world because it makes it more than just you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for the story of Abraham, for this model of trust. God, that you, you, you made him the father of your people. and his his character strength was simply faith. And sometimes that can be a slippery piece. What is faith? What exactly would it it mean to develop the character issue of faith? But God, we've got examples from Matthew, God, that we, we would have faith to leave certain things in our lives, that we would have faith to trust you, whether we go to the east or the west, wh- whichever direction happens, that we will trust that you will be faithful, that we will continue to build a relationship with you, and in so doing, we will build our faith. We will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that, God, we will have faith, even if we can't explain something, even if it goes, goes against our feelings, we will have faith in what you're calling us to do and to be. So, Father, I pray that you would bless efforts in this room to develop faith, to build up that part of our character. In Jesus' name.